The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, have you ever... Uh, Seen no, actually, have you ever been tasked with picking someone out of a police lineup? I really want to know. No, all right. I feel like I've seen it a million times in movies and on TV, and uh, I don't know, it's kind of in our consciousness that people get lined up in a police lineup and you have to pick. Um, and if you have. Um, please tell me after the service. But I'm sure we've all seen that in some way through a media source. The cops get a bunch of people that match the description uh, that a victim provides. And then the victim picks from this line of people who he or she thinks is the criminal. But isn't it crazy how they all kind of look the same because they've all been gathered based on their appearance? Their height, their, you know, their way of being that can be described to a police artist. What if they all look like the perpetrator? And what if the one that's really him or her isn't even in the lineup? That would complicate things if the victim chooses The person and says, I'm 100% sure that's the perpetrator. 100% sure. But the actual perpetrator isn't actually up there. Well, here's Jesus standing in the water with the rest of the big crowd. You can't tell which one's him. Isaiah 53, one you're probably familiar with, even says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
What does that mean? It means that he looked like everybody else. There wasn't anything special about his appearance. He was standing there in that group, a giant crowd of people being baptized by John for the repentance of sins. And that's probably shocking to you. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus never sinned. He doesn't even have a sinful nature. You're right. He doesn't. And that's because he's not repenting of his sin here. He's repenting of all of our sin. And he's making himself like you. He's making himself like I As you read the scriptures, you begin to realize that everything that happens to Jesus happens to you. Everything that Jesus says, you should say. Everything that Jesus does, you should do. Jesus is raised by his faithful parents to go to church and read the scriptures, even into adulthood. You should too. Jesus is baptized, you should too. Jesus prays, you should too. Jesus speaks healing words to the hurt and left alone. You should too. Jesus speaks words of disobedience against bad faith leaders. You should too. Now you'll notice that most of the reading today is actually focused on John the Baptist, which is strange. It's strange because it's the baptism of our Lord, which only takes about one sentence of our reading today. However, John the Baptist does have a lot to say about who Jesus is. People were confronting John, asking him if he was the Christ, the Messiah. So John had to be clear about who he was compared to Jesus. He says, Jesus is mightier than I. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. I'm not even worthy to be his water boy. But the other distinguishing thing that he mentions is that John baptizes with water only, yet Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Being baptized with water for the remembrance of sins, the repentance of sins, is for sure one thing. It will prepare your heart to receive Jesus. But Jesus' baptism is much, much different. His baptism will do something huge. It will create something new. Because the creator of all things will do it to you. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. But not before he experiences that himself. Oh, and another thing, he he adds this bizarre sentence that seems to be unlike the other sentences around it. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hands to clear the threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Hardcore. Yet, Luke says, this is good news. Good news John preached to those people. Does anyone here know what a threshing floor is? I had to call my father-in-law to ask him what a threshing floor is. He grew up on a wheat farm in Kansas. 
It turns out it's a stone floor that's, of course, flat. Usually, well, in the Middle East, it would be in a high place, coincidentally, where an altar or a temple would be built. And the reason why it would be in a high place is you wanted those strong winds to be blowing across it. You take all your wheat, all your grain, you dry it in the sun up there, and then you'd start to, you'd take this big fork, kind of like a, you know, a devil pitchfork, and you'd push it in there and you'd pick up the wheat and you'd throw it up in the air in hopes over and over again of all that chaff, which is this like dried up leafy stuff to come off the grain and blow away in the wind because you only wanted the grain because the grain is what you'd grind down to make bread. In typical biblical fashion, It's an agrarian, a farm image, one that everyone could understand, especially if you saw it happen. But it became an image of judgment by God. God says men and women are like the chaff of wheat. If they are wicked, that will be blown away in the wind when trials and temptations come. The added element to John's preaching is that the chaff won't simply be blown away by the wind, but it will burn as well. Burn because only the grain is for God. He has no use for the chaff. The chaff must go. And it's here that we return to Jesus of Nazareth, standing in the water, being baptized alongside a huge crowd of other people, unrecognizable, just like us. He's made himself to be like us because he loves us. He comes down to earth from heaven to be like us, to take our place before the Father in the police lineup for sin. Through his perfect obedience and prayer, the heavens open up. Not only to himself, but to all who believe, to you and to me. The Holy Spirit descends from heaven onto him in a bodily form, like a dove, showing peace from heaven like Noah's dove. Finally, glory to God in the highest and peace with his people on earth, which is what we sang today and what we read on Christmas. Jesus is, from this point onward, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Kind of weird to think about. He wasn't technically the Christ or the Messiah before this day when he was baptized because the Holy Spirit anoints him, descends on him. He's ready to go into the wilderness to face temptation, to fight the devil, to say no to the world and yes to his heavenly kingdom and to defeat evil and darkness when it came his way. But now baptized in water and the Spirit, he must go alone to the cross, where he will be baptized with the fire of God's wrath and take on that judgment himself for us, because he would not, or we would not, be able to stand that fire of God's wrath. Us wicked chaff, as Psalm 1 would say, would blow us away 
and we'd be consumed in the fire. But once that final box has been checked, baptized with water by John, the Holy Spirit from above, finally the fire of God's wrath on the cross, that baptism is ready to be shared. Jesus tells us all, Go ye into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I, Jesus, have commanded you. And surely, in this way, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus created you for his glory. He has redeemed you with his blood that you may be his own and live with him in his kingdom. As you are baptized with a baptism like his, so also are you united with him in his death and then his resurrection that you too might walk in newness of life. For all who are baptized into Christ receive his anointing of the Holy Spirit and are named by his Father who looks at you and says, You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. God is pleased with you in your faith and your baptism. Jesus has done it. He has made peace between you and his Father in heaven. He has given you the Spirit in your baptism to go out there in the wilderness, fight temptation, defeat the devil. When people at work or wherever you try to hang out uh, get you to agree to false things, when they try to get you to deny things that you hold dearly as the truth, you have the spirit. You can deny the temptation that goes along with these uh, situations. When you're alone with your computer, when you're alone with your romance novel, the spirit in you gives you the ability to say no to the temptation. You were dead. That's what Paul says. You were dead in sin. And now you are made alive with Christ in his baptism. Let's return to the image of chaff and wheat to close this out. Beyond the image of belief versus unbelief, the metaphor includes the Christian man, the Christian woman's life. You're now alive. And Jesus' life in you helps to pull you up and away from your sin. You are being tossed up in the air like wheat over and over again, still in trials and temptations, difficulties of this life. But Jesus, standing in that river, baptized for the repentance of your sins, rips your sinful nature 
and its temptations away from you, slowly but violently. Baptism is a violent act. You can't shake it. Evil, sin, the clutches of the devil are being torn away from you. Watching evil crud, letting that in your house, that's gone now. Hanging out with those guys from school or work that keep getting you into trouble, that's gone now. Going on that website that leads you nowhere good, it's gone now. But like dying and necrotic flesh that's being taken off by a doctor or even leeches, as they still do. It's never as simple as a pedicure. But that pain hurts for a short bit. But oh, does it feel good once it's gone and the good stuff starts growing again. You have no benefit of keeping and continuing in those sinful habits in that sinful life. Instead, it's your Christian duty and command from Jesus to get rid of it, to begin to get your human nature to match your divine nature, which was given to you by disciplining yourself. No matter how long it might take and what little progress you may make, And regardless, it's of highest importance to remain in God's word, to live as he might live, to have your words and your actions match his words and his actions so that people begin to confuse you and the true Jesus. Whatever happens to you happens to Jesus. Whatever Jesus says, you say. Whatever Jesus does, you do. You are a Christian. Jesus has split apart the heavens for you to have access to his Father's word, to have access to his Father's will, and to have access to his Father's ways. And it's up to you whether you'll coast and throw it away or take it, deny yourself, and follow Jesus through suffering and even death to life eternal. Amen.